And you might think, what if I fall? Well, what if you don't? What if you fly? With so much love and respect, welcome to the Luke Adler Healing Podcast, where we turn pain into power and get down to what really matters, the love we share and the love we grow. This is for those who want to get intimate with life's living edge and use every instance as an opportunity for deepening and connection. To make life a work of art, painted by passion and fueled by a longing for a more beautiful world, ultimately creating space for all that we are. I'm your host, Luke Adler. Let's get it. All right, here we go. I am so excited to be back on the studio with one of my real dear friends, someone I really appreciate and admire, Dr. Robin Hertz, PhD psychologist. She is a very talented clinician and she does a lot of different work, but she works um, with, with trauma, with childhood wounding, with attachment disorders. We'll ask her more about uh, some of her, some of the specificities with her work. But um, first of all, I just want to say welcome, Robin. Thanks for joining me here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, you and I have been friends, I think, I don't know, I want to say like pushing 10 years, but I've, I think seven, eight years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always, always, I just, I've always loved speaking with you, doing work with you, um, and partly because you're incredibly intelligent, but more than that, you're very intuitive. You have an intuitive way of, of sensing the world, and I, I know that you work that way as well. Do you want to maybe just say a little bit more about your work as a, as a clinician and just student of, of humanity and healing? Sure. Um, so I've been studying psychology since my late teens when I went to college and I always knew that I wanted to be a therapist of some kind. And in my research, I got into studying a couple of areas that I still am deeply involved with today. And that is the study of human attachment and closeness starting in childhood, child to parent, and then evolving into adulthood and into friendships and romantic relationships. And the other area is mindfulness, which is just the Western psychology, secularized way of referring to presence and how presence is healing and how we can cultivate more of that in the therapy room and then bring that into relationships for healing. Mm. Beautiful. Let's, let's weave that in. I mean, that's so apropos to what we're planning to talk about today, which is this um, idea of holding space and how that, uh, how that is understood kind of in the, in the, uh, ecosphere of healing work 
and the different levels of holding space and kind of the default space that can occur in a group. And and I, I just put that out there in the context of you and I have done work together in groups before, namely in, in we've done some meditation work, but in group women's groups and um, some of the dynamics that we've seen there that, that you see in your work that I see in my work. But I think we, we really want to flush that idea out and, and how just the kind of different levels and understanding of holding space can can shift group dynamics and everything that that um, you know is affected by that as far as group culture and ultimately trust and safety. Um, is there somewhere you want to jump in to start with all that, Robin? Any sense, any place you feel pulled? Sure, I can riff on that. Um, holding space, I would say, in a group, it, it all starts with how you're holding space for yourself, hmm. how present you're being with yourself, and the dynamic and relationship that you have to your your own being and your own experience and emotions. And as within, so without. So if you're someone who tends to avoid or minimize or suppress your own emotions in your inner world, and that's the kind of presence or lack thereof that you have with yourself, then that's going to extend into what you're bringing into that space. And this doesn't have to be come across as very negative. It can come across as, I think it is often intended to be helpful. Uh, another way of looking at emotional minimizing is we're just trying to take the intensity off the feeling so that it's easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that's you're trying to help. You're trying to help yourself and others in that way. But in doing that, you're, there's a way in which you're turning away from the fullness of that emotion. Hmm. And likewise, if you're someone who's really cultivated a lot of radical self-acceptance and radical presence in your own experience, where you're very open with yourself and you don't turn away from your own intensity that in group work, then you'll have more capacity to stay present with where someone's at without feeling like you need to move right away to fix it or solve it, minimize it. I love the the distinction you're bringing here. This, this uh, notion of, of minimizing, it reminds me of one of my early mentors in my 20s. We were in a, in a group doing healing work and someone was, someone was really angry. They were sharing something about their lives. And I remember he put a hand up and he was like, you know, just breathe. And he said, it's hard to hear what you're saying because you're so angry. And, um, the, the teaching that I got from that was, uh, I think it's, it's not totally clear like anger is bad, but like the goal here is to, is to subdue or kind of release our feelings so that we can actually talk about what's going on. And, and that's, I think there's a time and a place for that, but in the context of deep healing, and I think 
with what you're talking about and, and kind of where my work has evolved to as well, we're, we're wanting to actually not minimize a feeling, but make more space for it. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think that default culture that it's there in the new age world, but it's also there in pop culture is like, oh my God, emotions are scary and, and they're big and they make us feel uncomfortable. Let's like bring down their intensity as quick as possible so we can all feel safe. Mm-hmm. But there's like a, there's kind of a problem with that, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes. And so another way that I work clinically that I think is important and relevant here is the idea of dialectics. Mm. So a dialectic basically refers to a tension between two seemingly opposed or opposite understandings, like two things that seem to be opposites, but are actually true at the same time. Mm. So there is a deep truth that if we are expressing with a lot of wild, dysregulated anger, on average, most people are going to have a hard time receiving and hearing us when we're coming from that point, that place, that's just natural. And at the same time, it's also true that the full expression of that feeling is not inherently unhealthy and perhaps necessary to expansion, whether that's personal expansion or expanding a relationship through conflict. And so when we're working with a dialectic, we're really kind of dancing in between these two truths. Mm. There is a need to regulate at times, especially when the focus is on relationship. But like your mentor, when they interrupted that process to say, you know, we need to take a deep breath so that I can actually hear you comes across as subtly shaming and it's, it's also not taking accountability because I think what that individual is really saying was I am feeling overwhelmed being present with your anger right now. And I am losing the ability to stay present and hear you, Mm -hmm. but but rather than owning that as like this, I'm running up against my personal edge and limitation around human emotion, projecting that onto the other person. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you're breaking this uh, rule that we yeah. have where you, you can't get too intense, but we, it's just not done. It's not proper or appropriate. Yeah. It was almost like a cultural moment of that particular group to say exactly what you just said, that w- we don't do this. Like to be good at healing work and mm-hmm. facilitation, we um, reduce the intensity of our experience in the, in the, context of you know sharing in a group and um yeah i did find that to be uh something that i absorbed at that age like oh okay this is this is the rule of of healing work you know and and in some ways espoused it and um but it 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 felt very suppressive you know it was it was suppressing something natural that really wanted to move in a more mammalian primal sense that um you know, was, was true in that moment for, for that particular person. And certainly for me in moments. Mm -hmm. 
And it's so important because emotion, and I think you and I are on the same page in this understanding, uh, it's energy. Mm-hmm. It's life force energy in the body. And we have all of these cultural prescriptions that we, we need to suppress it in some way in order to be acceptable to others. And of course, that's true. That, that's one right. end of the dialectic. We have to dance in that sometimes. But when we're wanting to heal and expand the ability to tap directly into that emotion and contact that raw power, prana, of so many people right now I hear are exhausted, yeah, completely overwhelmed. And who among us wouldn't like a little more energy to tackle what's important to us every day? Well, it's there. It's Mm -hmm. there in that suppressed emotion. And it's unfortunate when people don't have that understanding, they're trying to help, but they end up contributing to this force that wants to shut that power down. Right. Right. There's that, there's that default. So then we get into a more awakened group or a group where there's permission to be uh, more expressed um, and even fully expressed. And that's welcomed and that's encouraged and and then we experience this phenomenon of of holding space and the different understanding of holding space the different you could even say like a skill level of holding space and then you even get into like the the notion of uh rank within a group that can affect our perception of holding space like so age could be a rank uh you know having a having uh, a more advanced degree could be a rank uh, more experience in certain arenas of life, more financial um, means, um, having a family and not having a family. There's all these different levels of perspective that comes with these 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 positions in society. So let's kind of parlay that into the work that you and I really love doing, which is that deep deep psycho spiritual healing and um, what's your sensibility around, around holding space as far as group dynamics, as groups, as a group might come together? Yes, I love this question. So I can share with you in my own development as a therapist and a clinician, I have studied holding space, the art form of that. Mm. And it took me several years to really understand that as I'm holding space for somebody else, I'm also holding space for myself. Mm. So it was game changing when I realized that one of my most important tasks in the therapy room when I'm holding space is to feel my own body and Mm. feel my own breathing and notice if my soft animal body knows that it's safe. Or am I going into some type of survival reaction? And so starting at that level, we're not abandoning ourselves as we hold space for others. Mm. Mm. And you might encounter your own work there. So in a group, if someone's highly charged, you might notice, wow, I'm really activated too. Mm -hmm. So in holding space might just be I'm going to stay present primarily with my own affect 
until that can kind of regulate. And then from there, I can extend presence to others and mm-hmm. holding space in the group. But what I see happening frequently is when individuals have an orientation to their own intensity where they need to solve it, fix it, bring the intensity down right away, that it's easy to jump straight into well-meaning advice giving or you know, making suggestions that are really designed to shut down that power that someone else is tapping into. Mm-hmm. And if you're coming from a professional background where maybe you are an advice giver, a helper, or you have decades of experience perhaps doing something like that, it can feel really unnatural or humbling maybe to recognize that holding space is not that. There's a time and a place for that. When someone asks for advice or if they ask for help calming down, that's very different than moving straight to that automatically. Right. Some of the first, when I, when I see someone that's kind of new to the healing work, I'd say the first two stages are that the first one is what you just mentioned. Someone who's more going to be in kind of fix it mode advice mode, more of a mentoring mode, which of course, if that's what the agreement is, then that's great. And then the second one is someone who's maybe more open to the feeling nature, the intuitive sensing of the work, but just because of their their newness to the work, their tendency would be to project their their current experience or their current breakthrough onto the client. Mm-hmm. right it's like well this is what's happening for me so it it must be happening for you or this is all that i know so i am just gonna put it put it onto you partly because i lack experience and i also lack that ability to discern my experience from your experience mm-hmm. so there's, there's a kind of a collapsing of my reality into our reality um and uh, that's a that's a common thing I see in a group that that gets formed or someone that's kind of newer to the work. But but I think these gradients that we're pointing out and exploring here is are they're they're subtle and very powerful. Um, mm-hmm. And I think as we go beyond that, it gets it gets a little riskier because if you're a paint by numbers or kind of a, a, a strategist as a healer you know, you're going to employ some kind of technique that you've been trained in, which is, which is going to kind of get in the way of what's just naturally here or there. Mm -hmm. And, and that could be cool. It could be cool, but it's not going to be totally sensitized to what's actually right. What's happening right here, right now that I'm holding space for. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And one way of looking at this that's always been helpful to me is the person you're holding space for. Do you see that person as more like a sunset or a math problem? Ah, nice. (laughs) And that real presence 
is approaching yourself or somebody else or a group as if you're beholding a sunset. Mm. You're not in control of it. It's magnificent. It's an expression of all that is. Mm. We're witness to it. But there's this other way that we can come in like we're trying to solve a math problem. Yeah. And we're and we're coming in with strategy. And yes, we have an agenda. We think we know mm-hmm. what the other person needs or where they're going. Yeah. And that's not always the case. We don't always know. There's something very authentic about don't know mind. Yeah. Seems to be a natural hubris to approach I mean, to to approach the space with with a kind of preconceived knowing or notion of where we're going, where we're headed, um, as opposed to approaching it like a beautiful sunset, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And and that auto advice giving that you're talking about when yeah. someone's sort of in the earlier stages, it there is a boundary issue there and it's around mental boundaries really where on some level the person is not really perceiving the sovereign nature of that other human right and and so just automatically they're kind of spilling over like oh because this person is here and they're sharing with me then clearly they they need to know everything i know about this topic and what's been helpful for me and nine different ways that you can move your healing forward from this point. Yeah. And there's a time and a place for that. It's not like that's useless in all cases, but holding space is something different than that. That's right. That's funny. I was playing, someone invited me to play uh, pickleball this weekend, this past weekend. And, uh, I was meeting these new guys who were playing and and one of the guys just started pouring on the advice, like mansplaining me on how to play this game. And at first I'm like very polite, like, oh, cool. Yeah, great. But he just, you know, for the next two hours, he's like, well, when you do this hit, I was like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, let me, let me learn, you know, like it it was so pejorative and, you know, it, it was not enjoyable. Um, at some level, you know, like obviously I could enjoy myself, but it, it was this like, you know, this, this, this uh, meddling yes. with, with my learning process, mm-hmm. like an overeager parent, like, dude, let the kid fall down. God damn it. Like you, he's never going to learn. Yes, exactly. Um, so what, what has been like, frustrations that you've experienced frustrations you've experienced with with that group process that that the challenge of the challenge of like going into a deep process and then keeping it deep um that that you've you've encountered i I mean either just personally like in your own process or as as a group is attempting to go deeper what are some of the things you've you've picked up on yeah so um that's a good question i'd say one thing that has come up for me in 
my own process is, can you rephrase the question actually? Yeah. I think this question points more to, more to this idea of rank um, Ah. and sovereignty. When we get into a group, like in my men's group, there's men who are in their late thirties and men who are in their mid fifties. And I see that, and I, even in myself sometimes, like the guys who are a bit older, like I'll tend to default a little bit to them in certain instances. And then in places where I feel more confident, I'll kind of step in and, and lead. Um, and I think that in that scenario, the whole, like the, the ability for me to trust the space is like a default around age. Mm-hmm. And my perception of like, uh, more life experience and maturity. So I'll kind of release my, I'll disown my, my sovereignty or my capacity sometimes, um, around a couple of the men in my men's group. I mean, it's not, it's not major or big, but it's something like I notice I do. I'm just kind of hanging back a little bit when I actually maybe have something to offer. Um, and, yeah. I'll kind of put, like I'll like in essence, like I'm no longer holding space for myself. I'm, you know, I'm I'm relinquishing that capacity to someone else in the group. Not not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I trust trust these guys, but yes, I I can definitely relate to that. <clears throat> so I'm 36 years old. I tend to be the youngest or one of the youngest in the group when I'm doing group healing work. And also part of my personal story is I've uh, had a path of hyper-independence. I haven't had a lot of warm, nurturing figures in my life that really took me under their wing and helped me, especially when I was young. So because of that deprivation, there's a need or a desire for Mm. that. Like, on some level, my inner child would just love to meet someone else who is so wise and so loving that I could just kind of let them drive the car for a while, yeah. so to speak, and have have that experience. Um, there is a little bit of self abandonment in that, and it might it might not backfire, you know, depending on who you're working with. But I have encountered maybe some where I'm deferring to somebody based on age and experience and then noticing ways in which maybe they're not getting it quite right. Like they're not quite understanding what I'm saying or they're slipping into that advice giving mode. And it's a little uncomfortable recognizing what's happening in that moment. And, and then kind of getting into how do you, interrupt someone or let them know that they're not quite getting it or what they're attempting to help you with is not actually helpful. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly problematic and spicy if we think about the backdrop of the physiology of emotion, Mm. especially doing deep emotional work, shadow work in a group where working with the nervous system, particularly often around emotions that have gotten 
kind of frozen or disowned Mm -hmm. because they weren't considered appropriate or permissible. Well, something to know about a human when they're unfreezing, when they're moving from that overwhelmed, frozen, shut down, suppressed state into a greater state of aliveness is you naturally exit freeze and go straight into fight or flight. Mm. That's that intensity that freaks people out so much, you know, that you have to kind of learn how to stay with it and trust that it leads to uh, an empowered place ultimately. But if you're in the middle of a process and I've had this experience where something's trying to come alive, but I'm encountering auto advice giving or that subtle shaming that's telling me to keep it under control. Don't let this get too big. What I experience is my anger trying to blast through. Yeah. And the clinician in me understands that it's not personal at all. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, navigating that human to human is very difficult because my natural impulse is to kind of come out swinging Yeah, (laughs) with, with the feel of that anger, which of course, I don't want to hurt any of my beloved friends that do this work with me. Uh, and then, so I kind of naturally default back into a frozen state mm-hmm. and the edge for me has been, how do I integrate my wounded inner child, my wounding in general with the soul that I am. And also with the clinician that I am, with mm. the skills and understandings that I have, to kind of intervene in something that's not helpful, even though I'm the youngest in the group. Yeah. So in a certain sense, not disowning your hard and well-earned expertise. Right. um, Well, well also tending to your most sensitive inner, inner uh, wound while also uh, attending to the group dynamic that is currently holding space. I mean, we're talking about a really dynamic situation. Yes. Holding a lot in that. (laughs) And so like, this is a great illustration of like the dynamism of holding space for self, for other, for the we space and how uh, obviously you don't just develop this capacity all at once, right? It, 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 mm-hmm. it begins one conscious step at a time, but it can be, um, I guess we want to highlight here, like, and this, I think this remains true in a group until the culture around anger shifts, shifts more completely, which is that, you know, I think you illustrated it beautifully when you're in a numb or frozen straight state, the nervous system is non-responsive. But as you perceive that, it begins to thaw out and then it moves actually to a more uptone state or a tone state, which is kind of a, a vasovagal uh, fight um, and flight. Uh, it's moving from freeze to those two. And that, that, in a certain sense, is an improvement because we're getting more vitality into the system. It's just, there's just, just a natural arc of more awakenedness through the, the nerves and the, and the blood, the vascular system. 
And if that gets interrupted because we're uncomfortable with the anger, with the hurt, with the grief, whatever, I, I think you, I, I, I've seen this dynamic before, you know, in my work where someone they'll snap back into freeze and it's, it's, um, I guess it's almost kind of shocking as, a, as someone who's holding space, like, oh my God, what, like, it makes me, re I re I'm really interested in like, what just happened that we went from a more an awakened state back to a freeze state? What, what lack of safety sh uh, showed up that um, kind of retracted this, this process? Yes. Isn't that fascinating? I know what you're talking about. I'm yeah. watching that, watching someone sort of coming back into their power and then, whoop, nope, not safe, shut it down again. Yeah. And watching someone really vacillate and go back and forth. Yeah. And you know, in, with my clients, yeah. people can spend years in that, swinging yeah. between being frozen and shut down and then kind of scaring themselves as their intensity where their energy comes back online. Begs the question, like what, what space, what space, you know, is called for to, to facilitate that continual motion, you know, from freeze to, to uptone fight flight, then to that arcing up, you know, that crescendoing of catharsis to then descend more into, um, you know, uh, a parasympathetic, resting, relaxing, healing, integrating state. Um, yes. Yeah. And when we learn these rules yeah. relationally, uh, that we learn in relationship that certain emotions lead you to be abandoned or rejected yeah. or judged or punished. And some of that we, we consciously understand. And some of that, was programmed in when we were pre-verbal and we don't have a lot of conscious access to it until we, you know, someone brings it to our attention. We start doing the work around it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm having a thought it's escaping me. Hold on. My train of thought is derailing. Yeah. Could edit, edit this part out. Sure. Um, uh, oh, here we go. So one thing around this that has been just irreplaceable, I needed this so much in my own journey, was the modeling from watching other people in their process. And this is where group work, there's nothing that could have replaced it in my own healing journey. Mm. I did not understand that it was possible to feel certain feelings in front of somebody else mm -hmm. and have them still love me and still think that I'm good and mm. whole and have there not be any negative repercussions for that. And I experienced that through group work, through modeling of watching somebody else go into their pain, whether that was anger or grief and really just let it rip. Yeah. And with good quality facilitation and a solid group culture that supported that. And it was revolutionary for me yeah. to experience that, to just see, wow, I'm allowed 
to feel that I'm allowed to express that and I could still have love. I could still be a part of the group with that. Hmm. And that was a huge gift that I received from the early group work that I did with others. But it's a tough sell, you know, (laughs) getting someone, giving someone the permission to go there. It's, it's such a great point, Robin. And, and I think what you're saying, it, it, it shatters the culture of minimization or the culture of suppression or the culture of, you know, uh, propriety, you know, behaving in a particular way. I remember the first time I experienced it, it was shocking in a good way. Um, and I remember having this sense of prior to the first deep circle of shadow work I did that was like, well, what are the rules here? And I remember someone saying, well, there aren't any. And I'm like, I had no clue what that meant. And then, you know, the first person started to do work and I, I was astonished at the level of vulnerable um, expression. And then like, there was no problem being made. The facilitator was like, so relaxed and just like, "Uh uh-huh, that's great. And then like emphasis, you know, say it more, go deeper, you know, uh, move your body. And um, I've, I've found it to be, you know, it's obviously it's become a lifestyle and so utterly refreshing and, you know, of course, begs what we talked about earlier, an awakened sense of discernment because it's not appropriate to behave that way everywhere because we still are mm-hmm. in a, cult- a culture of, you know, where behavior is, is monitored in lots of ways. And, and, it, and it should be, you know, it, we, we, we need not like be screaming and crying, uh, you know, loudly in the supermarket. Um, but uh, having a place and a space where it's totally welcomed is, I mean, it has accelerated my healing path, um, you know, in, in a way I, I, could have, I couldn't have even imagined it prior to doing this work personally. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And then what's interesting to me now is like supporting other um, trainers, like helping people learn how to access this and even how to, how to do it. And like you just said, you know, it's, I think you said something like, it's not, it's not for everyone. It's not, not everyone's kind of up for this, this, at this, at whatever point they are in their, in their trajectory or their, their work. Yes. Yeah. It, It really, a lot of it has to do with history and experience. Um, what your nervous system can handle because that shutdown that happens, it does happen automatically. And for some people based on life experience, their system will automatically shut down in the face of that level of intensity. Yeah. And, and for others, you know, one of the blessings perhaps of being exposed to a lot of emotional intensity in childhood is I have a really high threshold for emotional intensity <laughs> because my nervous system has been exposed to a lot of that yeah. in my life. And so just through natural experiences that were not so great, but then also through the good fortune of encountering healing work and doing shadow work in a group. And I think it really helps uh, heal the shame that I think yeah. most of us carry around our emotions 
to get to have an embodied experience of contacting what previously might have felt unacceptable or overwhelming and express that and still be held with Mm -hmm. love and dignity. It's so powerful. It's amazing. My men's group, I think we've done... 16 maybe maybe more retreats over the last seven years my like this singular group of men and we just got back from another retreat uh two weeks ago and i and i still had that experience where i I did a super super deep piece of work um and after i did it there was a sense like is this was this okay guys like and they're like yeah we love you this is great like you always Mm -hmm. bring it and i'm like just you know feeling that that vulnerableness within me like am i am i imposing am i did i take up too much space and mm-hmm. and to you know be reassured 7 years later like yeah we love you that was amazing and it it unlocked this for me um you know to 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 be continually welcomed back to my vulnerability and actually have it be celebrated um, it, yes. it's, yeah, it's one of the great, honestly, it's one of the greatest treasures in my life. My, my shadow work group, my, my personal men's group. Um, I feel absolutely the same way. It, yeah. There's, there's nothing that can really replace that experience of what you're talking about. The vulnerability hangover is what I like to call uh-huh. that. Where it's like, wow, I was really just letting it all hang out there, wasn't I? Yeah. <laughs> and I've had that same experience of kind of being a little sheepish, a little apologetic, yeah. checking in. Yeah. And then hearing that back, no, thank you for going there. Um, it's like in my own story, I didn't know that I was allowed to go there until I yeah. saw someone else model it for me. Yeah. So much rich things there. I, I want to touch on one more point and then I know we, we need to wrap it up, but, um, I mentioned my men's group, you've mentioned your women's group. And um, I think it's worth just mentioning, like, at least, at least in this particular format, I mean, I've done some co-ed groups before, but the the power of being in a group of women, power of being in the group of men. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on that, Robin, at least from your point of view? Absolutely. I know for me, I had a lot of wounding around relationships with women Mm -hmm. and the way that women can be when, when we're in our woundedness, uh, being toxic with each other, a lot of that has to do with uh, insincerity and passive aggression and having a women's group that is based in a foundation that is the antidote to all that in a lot of ways that's based in, sincerity and vulnerability and mutual respect. I look at my women's group as a radical experiment in female friendship. And I I think I'm not alone in that, that we're exploring what it can be. It's not your kind of standard, or at least what I experienced as standard friendship among women up until this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was leading a, a, a men's 
I was leading a men's shadow work group a month ago and my co-leader gave us a stem. We were in diet, we were in dyads or pairs. And he said, um, you know, a, a man that, a man that I admired, you know, wholeheartedly growing up was, and like, it was a blank spot for me. Like mm. there were, there were men that I admired in certain ways, but like, like an exemplar, I couldn't name one until I got into this particular men's group where the level of commitment to healing was so high and the, the roundedness, you know, not saying these men were perfect, but we were, we were all working on ourselves to have like that loving presence, to have that firm, powerful presence, to have a space for our, our shame to come forward. Um, it was so powerful. And in some ways, if I had, I'd been in co-ed groups before, but there's certain dynamics that just will tend to not come up in a co-ed group, particularly around sex, pornography, and um, sexual abuse. And so having the, that gender split up, it's useful because we've all just been conditioned in different ways. So there's ways in which a certain level of wounding, it's only going to kind of, it's only going to come up in a men's group or a women's group. And of course there's beauty in like bringing a group together because then you get to work out dynamics and that's exciting. But um, for my own healing, you know, having the men's group is, it's a place where I just take this big exhale. And mm. um, I, I know that all of me gets to come forward. Um, I, I feel safe to bring all of me forward. Um, even, you know, particularly, like you said, the parts that I might have shame about. Um, well, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love talking with you as always, Robin. It was so awesome to make this like more an official conversation because we actually talk like this when we're just dialoguing as colleagues and friends. Mm -hmm. So, partly I wanted to do this because, you know, so much insight comes forward. And like, let's just record this and share it with people because I think it would be helpful. So um, thank you. And Dr. Robin Hertz um, is, as you can tell, a just brilliant and intuitive um, clinician and healer, a true healer. Um, anything else you want to say, Robin, before we sign off? Just thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Uh, and I love you. I love you too. And I want to do this again. So, you know, if, if, if you want to do it again, we can, we can set it up. I think there were so many places we could riff into, but I think this was a great, a great first go. Yes, I agree. I'd love to do it again sometime. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, we'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds right. good. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Bye.